0: Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Jonah chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning, and uh, let's start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise. Everybody say, Arise. He says, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose, and he went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through, through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn. Everybody say turn. Turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you so much for this opportunity to come and uh, to worship you this morning. And uh, Lord, we're so grateful. Uh, that we can come together and and lift high your name and open up your word and glean powerful truths that we can apply to our own lives. And God, I pray that today would be uh, a day where we uh, focus in on your word. God, I pray that for the next few minutes we can put away all the distractions of life and any barrier that might be standing in the way from us uh, receiving a word from you. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, give me the words to say. And uh, Lord, I pray that we can leave here challenged and encouraged. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. Uh, growing up, I remember my parents had an old school camcorder, a video recorder. How many of you uh, have a home video uh, collection at your house? Anybody like that? And uh, we had this video cam recorder and we had a lot of home videos that we were making and, and it was always kind of fun to look back on some of those times and watch family videos. Uh, but I remember occasionally I would take that video camera and I would go uh, with my friends and we would uh, make our own movies and we would kind of just make up storylines and we would make ridiculous movies and looking back on it, they're quite embarrassing so I hope nobody finds them. But, uh... Uh, we had a lot of fun uh, with my friends making all these ridiculous movies, and and uh, anytime we were getting ready to film a scene, we learned that we were laughing so much and goofing off so much that we'd always have to take uh, scenes over and over and o- over again. It would be uh, many takes before we got it right. And uh, obviously, this is uh, the same in, in professional cinematography. They have to sometimes uh, uh, shoot scenes over and over and over again. And sometimes when we watch a movie or a show and it has just uh, kind of a short scene of just a few seconds, the reality is sometimes it takes them uh, hours. Hours and sometimes days and weeks to film just one uh, small scene. Uh, an example of this would be the original Spider-Man movie. Anybody seen the original Spider-Man movie? And uh, there's a scene. Uh, hello. There we go. I'm like, the rapture's happening or something right now. I don't know. And uh, there's a scene in that original uh, Spider-Man movie where uh, Spider-Man uh, catches uh, in the cafeteria on this tray all of these things on the tray. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, this scene took 156 takes to get it right because it's, it's a real scene. It wasn't computer generated. And I uh, brought it for us this morning to take a look at. reflexes. There we go. 156 takes, and they had to catch it and get it all right. And uh, sometimes that's the reality of when you're uh, making a film. It's just a lot of take after take after takes. And uh, we come to Jonah chapter number three this morning, and we are in take number two uh, for Jonah and his story and his calling. The first time around, Jonah didn't quite understand his calling. He didn't quite uh, understand his role, and he ran from God, and he ran from God's calling on his life. But God, in his graciousness and in his mercy, allows him to begin again and gives him a second chance. And really, this is a predominant theme in the book of Jonah. It's a predominant theme really in all of scripture, and that is that our God is the God of second chances. And even greater than that, he is the God of another chance, and another chance, and another chance. And he'll give us take after take after take until his will is accomplished. And so we come to Jonah chapter number three, and we're in this take number two of Jonah and his story. And we learn some valuable principles about the grace of God. The Bible says this in Psalm 86, verse number 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full, everybody say full, full Full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous, I love that word, plenteous, in mercy and truth. And so this kind of uh, enormous compassion and this grand uh, plethora of grace that is available to us uh, is unique to our God. The Bible says this in Micah chapter 7 verse number 14, who is a God like unto thee? Who is a God like unto you that that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. And so the prophet Micah is saying, God, there is no one else like you. There is no one else that offers this kind of wonderful love and compassion and grace and mercy. God, you are God alone. There is no one else that is quite like you. That God is a God of second chances. He is the God of another chance and another chance and another take and another take. And I read a story uh, uh, this week, an article about a football player named AJ McCarron. And uh, he uh, won a couple of national titles with Alabama football team. And and, uh, now he plays in the NFL. And he was telling his story in this interview. And he was talking about how when he was five years old, he was involved in a terrible jet ski accident and uh, really caused uh, some brain damage and, and fractured his skull. And he was blind for a time. And when that happened, the doctor said he had only two hours to live. And Then the prognosis kind of got better over time and a little bit, uh, a little here and there, he was able to gain back his sight. And eventually he made this full recovery. And in the interview, he said this, God gave me a second chance. I was going to make the most of it. I feel like I have. I don't take life for granted. And what I want us to understand this morning as we unpack Jonah chapter number three is this. None of us are on our first take. We, we've all fallen short. We've all messed up. And God has graciously allowed us a new beginning and another chance. And his grace has offered us this this new and fresh start because he has been so patient and loving toward us. The Bible says this in James chapter 4, verse number 6, but he giveth more grace. Everybody say more. More grace. Wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud but gives grace unto the humble. He gives, he gives more grace. And I love that word, how much grace? More grace. Uh, a grace as big as uh, to fill the ocean. No, more grace. Enough to fill the entire galaxies. More grace. Anyway, thankful that God gives us more grace today. Even when we don't deserve it, that makes us a likely candidate for grace because God gives us more grace. And so this morning I want to talk about. Uh, the grace of God from Jonah chapter number three. And uh, there are uh, four predominant principles in this text, in these 10 verses, that I believe that we can learn this morning, that we can glean really about uh, the grace of God in our lives. And so if you'd like to take notes this morning, number one, God calls broken people to do big things. God calls broken people to do big things. Now notice verse number one in our text this morning. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying. So now the word of the Lord is coming to Jonah, and uh, Jonah is about to be called. And there's two uh, really specific things that I see about this calling. I see, first of all, that it was a merciful calling. Notice how he says the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And so now this was the the second time that that Jonah got this calling. The first time Jonah ran from God, he kind of did things his own way. He said, God, I'm out of here. I don't want to go preach to the Ninevites, so I'm going to do my own thing. And he rebelled against God. But now God graciously gives him a second chance. And the word of Lord comes to Jonah the second time. And so Jonah, by his own doing, was out of commission. But I want to tell you this morning that our God is in the business of recommissioning. He says, hey, let's begin again. Let let me allow you another opportunity. And this was a very merciful calling. George Morrison said this, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. It's a series of uh, of new beginnings. Uh, going uh, over it once again, scripture is filled with broken people who did big things. All throughout the Bible, we see characters that 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 fell and that made mistakes and that they rebelled from God and, and uh, r- ran from God. And God gave them a new beginning. Abraham, he ran from God, and went to Egypt, he lied about his wife, and yet God gave him another chance. Moses, he was a murderer. He was an outcast. He was an orphan. He was a stutterer. He he made a lot of mistakes, but God graciously used him to be the leader that brought his people out of Egypt. Uh, We see time and time again, Peter, he denied Christ three times, but God used him in a great and mighty way. David, he sinned with Bathsheba, and he suffered the consequences of that sin, but it's interesting that David was called a man after God's own heart after he sinned with Bathsheba. What I'm trying to tell you today is that God uses broken people to do big things, and we see that here in the life of Jonah, that God is great. Giving him another chance, and the word of the Lord came to him the second time. The Bible says this in Micah 7 8, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And so we understand that God is so gracious that He'll give us a second chance. But I want us to be careful this morning. I want to clarify a few things because I think that we need to be careful when it comes to second chances that we understand what the Bible is talking about so we don't get into some wrong theology. And so I want to make a couple statements about uh, uh, second chances. And the first one that I'll make is this. A second chance is not always guaranteed. You say, well, God is the God of second chances. He is. But if we willfully reject God without repentance and run from him, we're not guaranteed a second chance. Just ask Lot's wife. Ask Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter number 5 judgment came fairly quickly for them. And so what the Bible is teaching us is that we cannot just use the grace of God as this mantra to just kind of live however we want and do whatever we want because we're going to get a second chance. That is a perversion of the grace of God. See, the grace of God is not a license to sin. The grace of God is a motivation unto holiness, and so we can't just say, oh, well, God's gonna give me a second chance and so I can just kind of live however I want and do whatever I want. Paul had to correct this erroneous thinking in Romans two times when he said this in Romans 3, verse number eight. He says, and not rather as we be slanderously reported and if some affirm that we say, he's saying people are saying this and it's wrong and I need to correct this. Let us do evil that good may come. He says that, that's the wrong way of thinking. We can't just say let's do evil because we're gonna have grace to just kind of cover it all up. So let's just live however we want. He says in Romans chapter six, verses one and two, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin?" that grace may abound, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer there? And so we can't just say, oh, I'm going to get a second chance. And so I'll just live however I want. And so we have to understand that, uh, that the grace of God is a motivation to holiness. But I want us to notice a second thing about these second chances and how the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time is that the reality is this morning, we have something far better than a second chance. Okay. Um, A second chance is great, but what good does a second chance do if you're never able to get it right? If we went into a kindergarten classroom and we put a calculus test on every desk and said, all right, take the test, and they kind of just looked at it and, you know, wrote what they wanted to write, and then they turned in the test, and the teacher put an F on all the tests, and then he came back and said, oh, don't worry, you all failed, but I'm going to give you another chance well, they're still not going to get it right. It doesn't matter how many chances they're going to get, right? They're still going to fail the test. And the Bible says this, Jesus said in Matthew chapter number five, he says this, be therefore perfect. Everybody say perfect. Perfect. Even as your father, which is in heaven is perfect. Now I want to tell you something today. That is a test that we will never be able to pass. It doesn't matter how many chances we get. It doesn't doesn't matter how hard we try or how many opportunities uh, we get. We'll never be able to live up according to God's perfect standard of perfection. Hey, we all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. It doesn't matter how hard we try or how good of a person we might attain to be. We all fall short. And so what we don't need We have this second chance, but we have something far better than a second chance. We actually have God's righteousness imputed to our account. And this is the great, great news of the gospel, justification by faith. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And this is what theologians call the great exchange, that, that our sin was imputed on Christ's account so that he could pay the debt that we could never pay, and that Christ's righteousness by the glory of God was imputed to our account so that we can have a perfect right standing before God. Is anybody thankful today that we can have a right standing before God the Father? because of what Jesus did on the cross see this is far better than a second chance we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and so we can't use the grace as just a license to sin and and we have to understand that the reality is is we have a right perfect positional standing before God because of what Jesus did on the cross the Bible says this in Titus not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy according to his mercy he saved us see Christianity is the only faith system where God makes the demands and then meets the demands. It's by his mercy that he saved us. And so this calling that came to Jonah the second time, it was without a doubt a merciful calling, but I want you to see also that it was a monumental calling. Uh, This was a big deal. Notice what the next verse says in verse number two. He says, Arise and go unto Nineveh, that great city. And preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And so this is the second time in the book of Jonah that the city of Nineveh is called great. It will be called great two more times before the book is finished. And so the Bible is emphasizing and scripture is emphasizing that the city of Nineveh is great. It was great for three primary reasons. It was great in size, it was great in splendor, and it was great in sin. It was great in size because history tells us it was about 60 miles in circumference. It was great in splendor because no doubt it had temples and buildings and structures that were magnificent to behold. But it was most... uh, famously noted for its sin. And the prophet Nahum in Nahum chapter number 3 describes the city of Nineveh and kind of what's going on in the city of Nineveh. And if you want some spare, if you have some spare time and want to learn about Nineveh, read Nahum chapter number 3 and he describes it. And he says that that Nineveh was characterized by its witchcraft, prostitution, child sacrifices, and murder. That's what Nineveh was good at. That's kind of what they were known for. And so this was a women-abusing, people-hating, violent, barbaric city. But watch this. God loved them. And just as God gave Jonah a new beginning, and just as God gave Jonah a second chance, he wants to give the city of Nineveh a second chance. And he wants to extend his grace even to the city of Nineveh. And so this was this, this great city. This was a monumental assignment. This was a great task. And then he says, And preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now there's a novel idea preach what I tell you to preach. Don't just, get up, don't just go and say whatever you want to say. No, you have to preach what I tell you to preach. Preach the word of God. See, if, if a mailman uh, were to take your mail and kind of sort through and only give you the mail that he thought that you should get, we would say, hey, that's not right. We would even say, hey, that's a crime. Don't do that. Well, what's happening so often is we only go to the Bible for what we want to hear. And we only listen to preach, preaching that we want to hear. Oh, that, that, that's good. Let, let me hear that. But see, we'll never be able to appreciate the good news of the gospel if we don't first understand the bad news of sin and judgment. And so, so, so Jonah is, is instructed to preach, preach the preaching that I bid thee. The Bible says this in Acts chapter number 20, verse number 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. See, we are instructed and it's not my job to stand up on a Sunday morning and just kind of tell stories and tell what I think. It's my job to stand up and to declare the word of God and to preach the whole counsel of God's word. And so God says to Jonah, hey, preach the preaching that I bid unto thee. And so Jonah here in these first two verses is recommissioned. He's called again. He's saying you messed up. God's saying you messed up the first time, but I want you to go out this time and preach the message that I have called you to preach. And I believe that this morning there might be someone here that you maybe have run from God. Maybe you have rejected the assignment that God has given you. And today he wants to recommission you and say, hey, it's time to get back on track. It's time to go out and to preach the message that I've called you to preach. See, there might, be, there, there, there might be someone in your neighborhood that needs the gospel message. There might be someone at your workplace that you have a burden for, that you know needs to come to church. You might have some relationship of someone that is hurting, that's going through a difficult season, and they need God to come in and strengthen their life. And, and you have that message of hope, and you have that message of deliverance, and it's our job to go and to declare that message and to deliver that message. See, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 15, verse number 20. Yay, uh, so have I strived to preach the gospel. To, to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should uh, build upon another man's foundation. And Paul was trying to go anywhere, to anybody that didn't know about Jesus, and he was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I'm not qualified to do that. See, I don't, I don't know if I have the right words to say, and I don't know if people will listen to me if I invite them to church, or I don't know if people are going to listen to me if I try to share the gospel with them. Well, just remember that God uses broken people to do big things. Oswald Chambers said this, leave the broken, irreversible past in God's hands and step out into the invincible future with him. And so we have to understand, number one this morning, that God uses broken people to do big things. Notice number two this morning, compliance does not always equal repentance. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? Yes. Compliance does not always equal repentance. And so now Jonah recognize, recognizes God's mercy, and he recognizes this calling And so he responds to this calling. And I see two ways in which he responds to this calling. First, there was this external obedience. Notice uh, the next verse, verse number three. So Jonah arose. He he obeyed right away. This was not uh, something that he kind of dilly-dallied around. He was not delinquent in his obedience. He said, okay, I'm going to go. He he arose and he went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was uh, was an exceeding great city. Of three days' journey. Now, in this time and culture, a, a a one day one day's journey was considered about twenty miles by foot, and so that that's this verse tells us that Nineveh was a great city, about uh, sixty miles in circumference, and so this was not an easy task. And so, so, so Jonah he he obeys and he says, "Okay, I'm going to do it this time. I'm not going to run from God this time. I'm going to be ob- obedient according to the word of the Lord." Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe maybe that's that's the first step for you. That you just need to say, "Okay, you know what? I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm going to be in submission and obedience according to the word of the Lord. It's amazing sometimes where we get our life principles and it's not according to the word of the Lord. And so, so, so Jonah is, he's obedient. The Bible says this in 1 Samuel 15, verse number 22. And Samuel said, hath the, Lord, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And so to obey is better than sacrifice. And Jonah says, okay, I'm going to be obedient now. I'm gonna to go to Nineveh. And I'm going to preach this message. Now, have you ever thought about how he was supposed to go about doing that? That Jonah was just supposed to go into this hostile territory, this barbaric place, and he's supposed to preach the message that God told him to preach. They didn't have radios. They didn't have TVs. He couldn't just go in and and hop online and start a live stream. You know, how, how, how is Jonah going to do this? How is he going to go and preach this message? Well, the Bible tells us exactly how he does it. Notice the next verse, verse number four. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried. So he did it passionately and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That is Jonah's sermon. That's it. Jonah goes in to the city, and he says, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he drops the mic. Jonah does the bare minimum. Have you ever given, been given a, a test in school, in college, or something, and, and there was a minimum word requirement? You know what I'm talking about? You just kind of work and try to get barely to that minimum. Once you're there, it's like, okay, good, I'm done. And then there's always the overachievers, and like, I just couldn't quite get it in the, in the minimum, where you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, that, that was never my problem. Jonah meets the bare minimum. He goes and he preaches. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's only five words. It goes in, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so we see that Jonah had this external obedience. He obeyed and he went and preached, but we also see that he had this internal reluctance. There was still something wrong with Jonah's heart. There was still something that was bothering him. No message of forgiveness, no message of mercy, no message of, hey, a new beginning, second chance like I got. None of that included. Why? Because deep down in Jonah's heart, he still didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. We'll see more about that next week. But Jonah still had this this problem in his heart. He had this external obedience, but he had this internal reluctance. And I want to tell you this morning that compliance does not always equal repentance. Because you can be willing and you can do on the surface and externally, you can do what you're supposed to do and still have a heart that is corrupt before God. And so are you serving, are you singing, are you giving, are you involved because you want to worship the Lord and because that's what you're supposed to do, or is it out of obligation? Is there an internal reluctance because the motive matters? Your motive matters in serving the Lord. The other day, I was up early, and I was studying, and I was working out my computer, and my son Luke, he came down the stairs, and he was kind of tired, he just woke up, and he came over to me, and he said, Dad, can I whisper in your ear? And I said, sure, you know, come over here. And uh, he came over and he said, Dad, I love you. And I was just like, this is the best. You know, It doesn't get any better than that. And then before I could skip a beat, before I knew it, the next thing that he said is, now can I have some candy? <laughs> and I was like, OK. At that point, I wasn't even mad. I was like, sure, let's go. You know, let's, let's get some. <laughs> I didn't even care at that point. He loved me, but he also had an ulterior motive. <laughs> he wanted some candy. And a lot of times we're really great at on the surface and externally doing what we're supposed to do and putting on a show and kind of going through the motions, but but God wants us to have the right motive. And Jonah here was kind of walking through the city and he was saying, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He's just kind of walking through the city crying it. Now, now, now his sermon may have been short and uh, it may have been very brief, but it was also very powerful because... Uh, every single word packed some punch. He says, Yet 40 days. Now, in scripture, 40 days is always kind of a sign of testing and judgment. Uh, the, the, the flood in Noah's day, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, Goliath, he he taunted Israel for 40 uh, days. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And now Nineveh Nineveh is given uh, 40 days to repent. And So whenever the term 40 days is seen in scripture, it's basically saying, hey, God's not playing around. This is serious. You need to take this message seriously. So 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That word overthrown is the same word used when God uh, spoke about destroying the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so this was a serious message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This message of judgment. Now you could think, well, how how in the world is this going to work? You know, what what kind of response is this message going to get? Like if that happened in in our day, if I came up today and just preached and said, yep, 40 days and Fontana will be overthrown. And then I just kind of walked out. Like what kind of response, you know, (laughs) would that get? You know, what's Jonah doing here? Well, notice the next verse, verse number five. It tells us the response. So the people of Nineveh believed God. And to me, that is the most shocking verse in all of the book of Jonah. That's more shocking than Jonah running from God. It's more shocking than a whale coming and swallowing up Jonah that the city of Nineveh, the people believed God. And there was this great revival in this short message. Hey, let me just tell you this morning, it may have only been five words, but there is power in the word of God. And it can only take five words because there is great power in the word of God. And and many commentators say, well, maybe the reason Jonah gained an audience, maybe the reason why the city of Nineveh was listening is because his story preceded him to the city of Nineveh. And they kind of heard about how he ran from God and heard about how he was uh, thrown into the Mediterranean Sea, and so because his story was kind of circulating the city, people were kind of listening to him and kind of uh, gaining ear to him and listening to what he had to say. Some commentators say it's because Jonah was inside the well for three days and three nights, and the gastric juices of the fish uh, stained his skin. The acid stained his skin and his hair white, and so he was truly a sight to behold, and everyone's kind of like, what happened to him? You know, and so they're kind of like listening to him, and I don't know. Uh, that could, that very well could, uh, could be true, but here's the bottom line. The reason why that this great revival happened in the city of Of arguably the greatest revival in all of history is because there is power in the Word of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, it says, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I believe this with all of my heart this morning, that we can see a revival in our city. We can see a revival in our families. We can see a revival in our own lives, in our community. We can see revival because not because we're great and not because we have all the right words to say and because we're something special, but because there is power in the gospel. There is power in the word of God. We just have to be faithful to deliver it. Jonah goes and preaches this short five word in the Hebrew message and a great revival just kind of breaks out. And so we're learning in this passage that God uses broken people to do big things. We're learning that compliance does not always equal repentance. There was still something wrong internally with Jonah. And notice number three this morning, real conviction brings real change. Real conviction brings real change. My wife, Katie, she enjoys uh, signing us up for television shows. And uh, notice how I said she enjoys that. Uh, She enjoys signing signing us up for all kinds of uh, TV shows. She has signed us up for The Amazing Race. She has signed us up for uh, the show Wipeout. We actually went to an audition to get on the show Wipeout. Uh, She signed us up for... um, uh, several other things. But most recently, she signed us up for the show uh, Trading Spaces. Has anybody ever seen the show Trading Spaces where, where you, you uh, kind of trade homes with your neighbor for uh, two days and they kind of remodel the home? And she was like, this is going to be so fun. They're going to remodel the house. It's going to be great. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know about this. And so, so we actually had a Skype interview with the show and we were getting ready to interview and see if they wanted us to be on the show. And so I said, okay, let's, get, let's give it a shot. And so I watched the first episode. I was like, let me see what kind of what we're getting into. I watched the first episode, and the people that got their house remodeled hated it. <laughs> they, they, they saw it, and they were like, I don't like these colors. This isn't my style. You know, I don't like any of this. And I was just thinking, I don't want them coming in here and doing this into my house, you know? And, uh, and so I told Kay, let's just uh, thank you, but no thank you. Let, let, let's not do this. And I, and I told her, I like our house just the way that it is. You know, sometimes in life, the reason why we don't experience revival and we don't experience restoration is because we like things just the way they are. And we're not willing for someone to come in. and We're not willing to uh, have counsel or to have input in our lives and biblical wisdom come in and say, hey, there's some things that you need to change. And what happens here? in this text is we see this great revival breakout and this great conviction that the Ninevites feel. And that great conviction, that real conviction leads to real change. Now in the Bible, uh, there's two ways that you can describe repentance. And, and uh, the first way is uh, attrition, repentance of attrition. And that is, when, uh, that is when it's kind of just out of guilt and you kind of, you're not really uh, upset about what you did, but you're upset that you got caught. And you know, so you kind of have this, this repentance of attrition. That could have been where Jonah's heart was. But then there is a repentance of contrition, and that is when when you feel uh, a real remorse, and you not only confess your sin, but you actually turn towards righteousness. And we see that happening in the city of Nineveh. They, they are repenting, and they are making some real changes. And so I want to sh- I want to show you just a couple of the changes that they made uh, in these next verses that I believe can be helpful uh, to us this morning. Notice uh, the first one is their, their faith. In verse 5 it says, so the people of Nineveh believed God. You'll never experience revival if you don't trust God and don't have faith in God. And so that was the start point that was the foundation that they had this simple faith they they believed God they believed God but then the second uh, uh, element to this revival I see is authentic humility notice what it says in verse number six for the word, for the word came unto king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And so the king responds uh, in this unique way, and he makes uh, this change. And what he does is he removes his, his his royal Assyrian garment, and he puts on this sackcloth. Now sackcloth was a very itchy garment; it was supposed to be very uncomfortable. How many of you, how many of you have ever had a T-shirt or something that had a, had a tag that just bothered you? And it it kind of itched you, and so you eventually. He just ripped it off. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, well, that was sackcloth, but all over your body. Okay, so they put that on, and it was a sign of uh, shame and sorrow. And so he put on this sackcloth, and then it says that he sat in ashes, which was, again, another sign of shame and sorrow and guilt. And so, literally, he went from his throne uh, to ashes. And what he's doing is he's showing great humility. He's saying, God, we need revival, and I understand that judgment is coming and so I'm going to demonstrate this great humility and understand that I am nothing. And the Bible says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse number 14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. Everybody say humble humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And so humility is always a prerequisite of revival. And so there was this authentic humility. But notice the next verse in verse number seven, we see prayer and fasting. And so this is all what the king of Nineveh is doing, what the city is doing. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. And so he proclaims this nationwide fast. Now in the New Testament we understand that fasting is for the purpose of withholding something from ourselves so that we can concentrate more on Jesus and so that we can really pray and seek God's face. And so here they are experiencing this revival and they know that they need a change and so he, he proclaims and issues this nationwide uh, fast and he includes the animals. Now, he wasn't even sure exactly what to do or how to do it, and so he wanted to make sure that he covered all his bases. And so now he even says, hey, the animals have to be covered in sackcloth, and they have to not eat, and they have to participate in the fast. And all the animals are like, what did we do? You know, like, what's going on? And, you know, when cows are hungry, they say, moo. And so there was a lot of, like, moo, moo. Like, like Nineveh would have just been chaotic right now. And so he's like, I just want to make sure that we cover all of our bases. Now, notice the next verse, verse number 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. So, so this fasting was coupled with prayer. Yea, let them turn. Everybody say turn. Everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. And so what we see here is that they had to turn. So there was this, this, this faith, this humility, this prayer and fasting, but also this total surrender. They had to turn. See, in their repentance, they did not treat sin lightly. It wasn't just turning away from something, it was turning to something. They had to turn away from, from the evil and the violence that was, that was in their hands. See, oftentimes in our lives, there, there must be removal before there can be revival. And so often we want the revival, but we're not willing to remove some things and to turn from some things. And maybe today, that's the message that God brought you here today, to hear that there's something that you need to turn from. And I don't know what that is. It could be different for all of us. It could be some form of immorality, some form of entertainment, some wrong relationship, some wrong attitude or mindset or belief system. And, and, and we need to turn from that. And there needs to be a removal in our lives so that there can be a renewal and a revival in our lives. And so there was this real conviction that they were experiencing that led to real change. Now, notice verse number 9. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen. Verse number 9. Then he says this. Who can tell? if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. And so what he's saying is, he's saying this, who knows, maybe God will be gracious. He didn't know. Maybe God will forgive. He wasn't sure. Remember, Jonah didn't really include that in his message. And so he's saying, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Maybe God will forgive us. And he didn't even know about God's forgiveness and yet He was worshiping. And what an indictment so often in our lives that we know about God's grace and we know about God's forgiveness and we know about God's mercy and yet we don't worship him the way that we should. He says, who knows, maybe God will forgive. And so they're experiencing this conviction that led to change. And there's one more thought that I want to give us this morning. Number four, and we'll be done. Number four, God's compassion is consistent with his character. God's compassion is consistent with his character. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 10. The last verse in our chapter this morning. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented. Everybody say repented. Repented Repented of the evil that he had uh, said that he would do unto them and he did it not. And so there's two things that I see in this verse. I see God's character and I see his compassion. And first, we see his character and we see this this phrase, and God repented of the evil, which brings up a lot of questions. A lot of people ask questions about this verse. And a lot of times you read the Old Testament and you'll read a verse that says that God relented or that God repented. And we think, well, what does that mean? Uh, Does God need to repent? Can God repent? Can God change his mind? We ask questions like this. Is it possible for for God to to change his mind? Did he see Nineveh repent and think, oh man, I made a mistake, I better not judge them. Of course, God does not make mistakes. And I wanna give just a couple of thoughts about this and about God's character as we close just so we can have a better understanding of this verse. And the first thing that I want us to just to know uh, right from the get go is that God is unchanging and that God does not change his mind. And, and scripture says that uh, time and time again, James 1:17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse number eight, Jesus Christ, the same. Everybody say the same. The same yesterday and today and forever. Malachi 3, 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. And so we have to understand that God is unchanging. And by the way, his immutability is a quality that we ought to praise and worship. Is anybody thankful for the unchanging nature of God this morning, that he does not change? And so we come to a word like, This and God repented of the evil; He relented of the evil. We have to understand two things. One, a lot of times in Scripture there will be what's called anthropomorphic terms. Now that's a big word, and all it means is that sometimes Scripture will use human qualities and ascribe them to God, so that we can have a better understanding of God. For instance, sometimes Scripture will say the eyes of the Lord are in every place. That is a human quality being ascribed to God. Sometimes the Bible will say the hand of God is working. That is a human quality that is being ascribed to God. And so here we see a human quality being ascribed to God, so that we can kind of have a better understanding of what's taking place here. Now. Furthermore, what really helps us understand what's taking place, if you're, under, if you're still confused, like why would it say that God repent? Does, does he change his mind? We have to understand in the Bible, there, there are two types of declarations that God makes. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen? There are conditional declarations, and then there are unconditional declarations. A conditional declaration is when God makes a declaration, but it's contingent upon our response. Okay. Then an unconditional declaration is when God makes a declaration or a promise. and It doesn't matter what we do. That's going to stay the same. Uh, it doesn't matter how we respond. And what we see in Jonah chapter number three is a contingent declaration that's made perfectly clear in the book of Jeremiah. Notice what the book of Jeremiah says regarding this matter. Jeremiah 18 verses seven and eight says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them see God did not change his mind he predetermined what he would do He said, if they respond and if they repent, then I won't judge them. But if they don't respond and they don't repent, then I will judge them. So he he didn't change his mind. He was perfectly consistent with his character. And this is what he already predetermined to do because this was a contingent declaration upon their response. And so God does not change his mind. And this really is a beautiful thing because it leads us to our next point that not only does it say that God repents of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. This speaks of God's compassion. See, this is what God wanted the whole time. God wanted to show the same grace and the same mercy that he showed to Jonah, also to the people of Nineveh. This is how great and how loving and how awesome and how merciful and gracious our God is. If you were here last week, when Jonah was drowning in the sea, he prayed an interesting verse, and he says, I will look toward the temple, and I will reach my hand toward the temple. Do you, how many of you were here last week and remember when he prayed that prayer? And it was signifying that he was saying uh, the, the prayer that Solomon made when he was dedicating the temple, and it was signifying forgiveness, and Jonah was claiming that promise. But it's interesting because Solomon also went on, and he, he extended that prayer, and he says this in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter number 6, verses 32 and 33. Moreover, concerning the stranger, everybody say the stranger, because that first first prayer that Solomon was praying back when he was dedicating the temple was for the people of Israel. Now, please don't miss this. Moreover, concerning the stranger, now he says, not only the people of Israel, but also the foreigner, the outcast, the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel, but has come from a far country, for thy name's sake and in thy mighty hand and thy stretched-out arm. If they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth uh, to thee for. That all people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee, as doth thy people Israel, and may know that this house which I have built is called by thy. name. And so Solomon is praying, God, not just the people of Israel, but also the foreigners, the outcasts, the people of Nineveh, people uh, in cities like Nineveh. And so God offers forgiveness not only to uh, the local, but also to the foreigner, also to the outcast, to, to the person that's far out in a far country. God says, I love you the same. And so whether this morning this is your first take, your second take, it's your 156th take, whether you are in a bad place right now, whether you are far from God, or whether you are as close as God to God as you've ever been, I want to tell you that God's love for you remains the same. This is his compassion. This is his love. The Bible says this in Romans 37-39. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's hard for us to comprehend and fathom this kind of love. If we were to imagine the person in life that we love the most, the person in life that we love the most dying on a cross. That thought is painful. We don't even like thinking about that. It's unfathomable. We don't we don't want to even think that and I want to tell you this morning that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me because he loves us that much. This is his kind of love and so if there's anything that we can learn from the story of Jonah is that God relentlessly pursues the rebel and he is so gracious and loving to us. The only question this morning is, how will we respond to that grace? How will we respond to the grace of God? Will we continue running like Jonah? Will we obey but be reluctant internally like Jonah? Or will we respond and bring about real conviction and real change like the people of Nineveh and say, God, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that I've done wrong. And so I want to, make some changes, not because I have to, to be saved, but because I want to, because you're so great and I want to please you. How will we respond to the grace of God? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church. And keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.